because it would glorify the Father and in turn the Father would glorify the Son. In verse 6, I don't know how far we're going to get. We're just going to go. I'd like to get all the way at least to 20, 21. Um, But in verse 6, he starts praying for the disciples. Okay, we're going to see that he starts uh, he starts praying for the men that have been with him. These you know the eleven disciples now that Judas is is going and and so his his task was to make disciples. We know that that's what we're tasked with. We're tasked with making disciples, and his task was making disciples. Verse six says, "I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept your." word how does how did jesus manifest the name of the father of god to his disciples manifested the name you th- they already knew the name they were jewish men they were raised in jewish education they were raised in the temple they were raised so how did jesus manifest the name by fulfilling prophecy okay how by being born. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, Dougie Fresh? Is it that he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And the yes, and that's exactly right. Expressing the nature of the Father? The nature of the Father, yes. <laughs> for, for a Jewish person raised and steeped in the law, in the temple, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, God would probably seem like he seems to a lot of people today, like this legalistic lawgiver ready to crack the whip if you don't if you don't uh, you know if you don't if you don't toe the line just right and do exactly what you're supposed to do here I am I'm gonna lightning bolt you to death you know or, or whatever they were they were the, God to them was he was a God of love and mercy but that love and mercy wasn't expressed unless you actually followed the laws that you had to follow to get that love and mercy. Here comes Jesus, and all of a sudden it's like he's the absolute opposite. He doesn't give grace to the religious guys who think that they got going on. and He gives grace to the broken and to the leper and to the sick and to the prostitute and to the these people that... Yeah, the people that no one, you know, if anybody is going to, if anybody's going to uh, be right with God, it's not going to be them. It's going to be me because I'm the religious guy and I've got it going on. Well, Jesus came and his life was exactly the opposite. He was, he, he was willing to reach out and to grab the leper and to hold them and to, to uh, forgive the sins of the prostitute and the, and the you know, the, the lowest of what the society would consider low. And all the religious guys, the guys in the great robes, the guys who were at the temple offering sacrifices, Jesus didn't have any time for them. So he manifested God's name, the the Father's name, the the I Am in who he was and in being born. I have this little youth video that I like to show sometimes. It's really funny just because it's got a really stupid actor in it. It's actually stupid, but he uh, he's like, he's there's this old, there's an old guy fishing. And the the it's like a teenage boy. I'm trying not to laugh. It's so funny. He comes. He comes and he's running down the path toward the fisherman, going no, no. And then the fisherman grabs a fish and he pulls it out. He says, "I'm gonna eat good tonight." And the the kid is crying and he's like, "I mean, it's really hilarious." And he gets down in the fish and he said, "Why fish? 
Why do you always eat the worm with the hook in his belly? You know, and he's, he said, if there was only a way I could talk to you. And then he goes, blah, 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 under the water. And then they all turn into fish, you know. And then and these, like, these old fish, are, it's really funnier than I'm telling you. <laughs> all these old fish are talking and they're just, you know, talking about nothing. And then here comes the guy, you know, he's like a fish with the guy's head that was. And he was like, I'm here to warn you. Don't eat the worm with the hook in his belly, you know. And they're like, we don't believe it. And the deal was that the guy in this little cartoony dumb video, the guy became a fish so he could warn the fish and he could tell the fish what it was like, you know, out there. And Jesus became a man so he could come and tell us who the Father is like. Before before this time, John says that no one has seen the Father. No one has seen, and even in the Old Testament, you could not look into the face of God and live. And so Jesus took on flesh and came and he manifested the name of God, the the I am, Yahweh. He manifested his name to them so that they could see, have a, you know, they could see God. They could have a relationship with God. It was, you know, it's hard to tell people how to have a relationship with, you know, the supreme being out there somewhere. Um, but God took on flesh and came to show us that he, he desires a relationship with us in the real sense. Like in the same way I have a relationship with you, a relationship with you, I have a relationship with Jesus, this God. Does that make sense? You know, with me? I love it where he says, verse 6, he says, um, I've manifested the name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept thy word. What is it seemed like to me that the disciples, every at every turn, they didn't keep his word. You know, it's like they were failing and falling at every at every turn. And even now, they're on the verge of their greatest failure because when Jesus goes to the cross, they all split. You know, and Peter denies him. And, you know, you, you got the whole deal. So, what do you think Jesus meant by they have kept your word? <laughs> yes, Doug. Doug, you are the. Front row, a, a student today. To believe on the one whom the Father sent. That's exactly right. They believed on the one whom the Father sent. Um, they had already believed in God. There wasn't too many Jewish people raised and steeped in Judaism that didn't believe in God. So it wasn't just to believe that there is a God. It was to believe that this is Jesus, the Messiah that God has sent. The the Jesus came. Jesus came to. To make the law worse, really. You know, a lot of people think Jesus came to do away with the law. So, you know, we're not under law anymore, so I don't have to worry about it. But Jesus actually made the law worse. Um, They thought, you know, the the commandment said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so, okay, they thought, as long as I'm not going out and committing adultery, I'm fine. I hadn't broke that law. But Jesus Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at another with lust, you committed adultery in your heart. So he made the law kind of worse. And so to say that the disciples were the perfect people that kept the law and kept God's word is kind of, it's kind of a joke because they really didn't keep it at all. 
and even now they were still clueless about what was going to happen. But the one thing that they did believe, the one thing Jesus was telling them, and they were beginning to accept, especially here at the Last Supper, was that Jesus was not a prophet showing the way to God. Jesus himself was the way to God. It was through him that men would be able to be in relationship with God. Now think about the struggle that's going on right now. We're sitting in the upper room and Jesus is teaching us these things. And outside this room, you've got everything that you've ever known. Everything that you grew up learning, the temple, the priests, the the heritage that you're steeped in, everything that you've ever known is telling you that this temple and these priests and these sacrifices are the way to God. And then you have this carpenter from Galilee that's saying, no, I'm the way to God. And it's going to be through his sacrifice, his death and resurrection that he, you know, opens the way to God. Uh, Think about the struggle that's going on here. That they're going to have to basically, they're not going to turn their back on their heritage, but they're going to see Jesus as the fulfillment of their heritage. And they've got all the priests, all the family members, all the temple officials, all the people that hold positions of authority in their religious life. And all of life was religious back then, uh, whether it was business or whatever. They're all telling them that this Jesus is nobody and he's just some prophet. He's, he's going to go away and it's going to be, everything's going to stay the same. This is the way you get to God. And Jesus is here saying, no, I'm the way and all of them are wrong. I'm the fulfillment of what all those things pointed to. Um, Notice the struggle that they would have to go through. They're going to have to forsake all this other and say that this carpenter from Galilee is the fulfillment of all this that's gone before. And that's what they do. They believe on Jesus' name. And this is what he means by they have kept your word. Because the word he's talking about here is that Jesus is from God. He's going to say that in a minute. Uh, They believe that I am from you and you have sent me. Does that make sense? So you see the thing that is going on here. He's saying Jesus is praying for his disciples. Let me just read a little bit because we're going to get bogged down and we're not going to finish. It says, they have kept that word. Verse 7 says, now they have known. He's Now it's like finally they are, they're beginning to understand that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. They're, they're beginning to understand that you cannot come to God except through Christ. He's saying now they understand that all things that you've given me are of you. Now think about that for a minute. He's saying everything that is of God comes through Christ. All things that you have given me, the Father has given the Son, are of the Father. So no longer can the temple be of the Father. No longer can the sacrifices be of the Father. No longer can man say, I am uh, in right relationship with God without the Son. No longer is the the heritage and the the education and the, the Torah and all the things that they taught. No longer can that be said to be of the Father unless it is of the Son. Does that make sense? He's saying, now they know that whatever you've given me is of you. So everything that is of God comes to Christ. There's no way to get to the Father. There's no way to be in right relationship with God without being in right relationship with Jesus. There's no way to come to the Father unless you come through the one that the Father sent to be crucified and raised from the dead. Make sense? Okay. Verse 8 says... 
For I have given them, this is why, now, verse 7 says, Now they have known, now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For, because, this is how they know that, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. Uh, they they understood. They are beginning to understand what Jesus what that that Jesus is the only way to the Father because Jesus has been giving them the Father's words. When we read the things that Jesus says, we're not just reading the thoughts of some guy who lived two thousand years ago. We're not reading the thoughts of people who have copied the scriptures over and over again. If you still confused about how we know the Bible is trustworthy, we did a whole lesson on that. It's on that. It's on the website. JasonVillada.com. Go listen to it. I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can trust uh, from the original, you know, from the original languages that we can trust what this what this book says. Um, but Jesus's words are the words that were given to him to say by the Father. That's how they know that he is from the Father. But these men had to do what? Believe. Yeah, they had to receive the words, didn't it? It says, verse 8 says, uh, They have received them and have known surely that I came that I came out from thee, and they have believed that you did send me. Now that goes back to the struggle going on. They trusted that Christ was from the Father. And now he's he all this is set up. Jesus is talking to the Father, and verse 9 says, I pray for them. The word pray is not the usual word pray. Um, it's it really, if I was translating it, it would say ask. Because that's what he's doing now. He's asking God. So pray is a good translation. It's not wrong or anything. When you ask God, you're praying. So he is praying. But the, the actual word says he's like, I'm asking for them. I'm calling out for them. I'm praying for them. He says, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are yours. They're that. Okay? Now, when Jesus says, I don't pray for the world... Doesn't that seem like kind of a contradiction? Aren't we supposed to pray for our enemies? Pray for lost people? What did Jesus mean when he says, I don't pray for the world, I pray for the ones you've given me? Because maybe specifically just at that moment in time, he was focused on just those 11 men. Well, that's definitely true. Definitely true. He was focused on those 11 men. What did he mean by the world? The evil of the world, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious. Yeah, absolutely. But he didn't mean every individual in the world, did he? No. See, that's the thing about John. Whenever you see the world, the world, the word, whenever you see the word world in John, you have to really dig into the context to figure out what it means. Because John uses the word world in a lot of different ways. So when Jesus says, I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, he's not talking about every individual in the world. He's talking about the world system. He's talking about the world mindset, the worldview that set itself up against God. He's talking about the Pharisees that refused to accept him. He's talking about the religious people that refused to accept him. He's talking about everybody that would declare their independence from God. Um, We know that God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But then in another in another set, uh, in, a, in the epistles, 1 John, John writes, for us as believers not to love the world or the things in the world, 
because the love of the Father is not in you. So you see there's different ways that the word, the word world is used. And in this context, when he says, I don't pray for the world, he's saying, I don't pray. I'm not right now praying for all these people out here who, who are against me, who are enemies of God. All, these, all this, uh, this worldview that says I don't need God. This religious worldview that says I can work for my... He says, I'm praying for these that you have given me. That's specifically what he says. He says, verse 9 says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. They are yours. Now, what does it mean that the Father gives them to the Son? Those that are called by the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's exactly what it means. We talked about that a little bit last week. There is a misconception, especially among young people, that, you know what, I can get saved whenever I get ready. I'm just going to take my time. I'm going to wait. I'm going to get all this living out of the way. I'm going to get all this fun out of the way and do my thing. And then I'm going to come to God after that. The only time that a wicked, wretched heart, and when he says there's none good, not even one, the only time that that wicked, wretched heart can come to Christ is when the Holy Spirit is drawing that heart, when the Holy Spirit is convicting that heart, when the Holy Spirit is tugging at that heart and saying, you are a sinner, you must come to me. Uh, if it, It's not because we're not able, but it's because we don't want to. Until the Holy Spirit draws that heart, you don't want to come to God. You don't want to have somebody ruling over you. You want to do your own thing. I'm not saying that you're an axe murderer. I'm not saying that you're, you know, you're probably not a, you know, a bank robber or nothing like that. You just want we we as humans, we as fallen people with sinful natures, we we want to do what we want to do. It's just as simple as that. I don't want anybody telling me what I can and can't do. I don't want anybody ruling over me. And so when the Father gives someone to the Son, the way that Jesus is, is talking here, He's talking about the drawing and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about just you know the Father checking off a list and saying this one, this one, this one, this one. He's talking about the Father drawing us as the gospel is being preached. For instance, today when we go into service, we'll go into service here and we'll praise and worship. We'll listen to the Word being taught. We'll listen to the gospel being preached, and the Father that will will uh, will the Spirit. Spirit will come and it will join with that word, join with that gospel, and it will grab hold of your heart. It will grab hold. There might be two teenagers sitting there. One of them is texting on his phone, not paying attention, could care less about anything that's going on. And the other one could be enthralled. And then all of a sudden understand that he's a sinner. All of a sudden understand that he needs grace. All of a sudden understand what God is trying to do to him. And you see the difference. One guy is playing Nintendo while church is going on. He can care less. And the other guy is captivated by this gospel, this rich word of God that the Spirit is coming and convicting him. And you can see that when he receives that word, just like we read a minute ago, the disciples receive that word. When he receives that word, when he comes and gives his heart to what that spirit is pulling him toward, that is the father giving men to the son. And he's saying this because we cannot be of the father unless we are of the son. Remember when he just said that? He said, there is no one that is of God unless you come through the son. So, verse 10, and all mine are thine, all mine, Jesus says, all mine are yours, he's talking to the Father, and thine are mine, he's saying, all mine's yours and all yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. 
Verse 11 says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Who are these? The, yeah, the disciples that he's sitting in the room with. These are in the world, and I'm coming to thee. I come to thee. He says, I'm leaving. Uh, I have told, you know, they were expecting the great king to come and take over and kick out the Romans. But I've told them that I'm leaving. I'm coming back to you. I'm going to die on a cross here in just a matter of hours. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be tried three or four times. I'm going to be convicted by a a show court. And I'm going to be, be crucified on a cross. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to come to you. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. And then 40 days after that, I'm going to ascend. And I'm leaving. I'll be gone. I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father. And he says, he says, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Now he's, he's saying, let me, let me just go on and read the first part of 12. It says, while I was with them in the world, Jesus says, while I was with them, I kept them in the name. Those that thou gave me I have kept. None of them is lost except the son of perdition that scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas that he's talking about. So he's saying, look, Father, I'm leaving. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to sit at the right hand of you. I'm praying for these people. And you can put your own name into this prayer that Jesus is praying for you. He says, I'm praying for my disciples that you would keep them in the name. While I was with them, I kept them. You know, Jesus walked with them. He talked with them. He taught them. When they tried to go off on the wrong path, Jesus would bring them back. He would, he would tell them what they did wrong. And he would, you know, he would correct them. He would do all those things. And now he was leaving. And all of a sudden, the disciples are like, where are you going? You're supposed to be the king. You're supposed to be the one who's going to take over. And, and, and all of a sudden, you say, you're leaving. And he says, right here, he's praying. Father, I pray that you would keep them. Keep them in, in, in the name. Where am I at? Is that 11? Through, keep them through thine own name, thou's, thou that, whom thou hast given me. And what does keeping them in the name mean? So that they may be... So that they may be... One. as we are one. Who is the we? The Father and the Son. The Father and the Son. Okay. Keep them in the name so that they may be one. Understand, if if Jesus was standing here and he's talking to you and he's teaching you all these things and he starts praying to the Father. Father, I pray that you would keep these right here, these people right here in this room. Keep them in your name. And by keeping them in your name, the result is that they would be one. That they would be one as we are one. Okay, the father and the son are one in perfect unity in their purpose, in their, in their, you know, give me the word, I'm missing the word, their purpose and their desire for you to be saved, for you to be kept and protected. The whole time Jesus has prayed for his glory, the father's glory. He's prayed for the disciples protection. He's prayed for uh, that they would be kept in the name. And, And so he's saying that you would be one in purpose, 
And in mindset, you all, no matter where you're from, some of y'all from Tennessee, some of y'all from other states, some of y'all from different ages, you know, you got from 20-something, you know, up to my, I'm 42 today. All We all have different things, different personalities, whatever, but there's one thing that unites us. And it's the one thing that unites us that's stronger than any other bond that we could possibly have. And that's that you and I are brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ. In that name that's above every name. We are brothers and sisters. We're connected by that name. Now, Jesus and the Father are one in a different way, aren't they? How are they one? They're one in purpose. Both have said, Jesus has said, these are mine and they're yours. Everything that's yours is mine. Everything that's mine is yours. And you give them to me and I keep them in name. But we talked about the Trinity, didn't we? The Father and the Son. They are, Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit are one being. That's not what he's talking about right here. He's not talking about all of us being one as we're one being. But we are one body with the head of us as Christ. Does that make sense? Well, it's just yep. he's manifesting like what Jesus is praying for and what he is wanting and asking the Father for is that he is wanting to manifest that relationship that mankind had with God back in Genesis. Right. Right. And he's wanting to, he's wanting to bring us back into the fold. Yes, the relationship with God that was we were meant to have in the very beginning before sin came. Y'all with me? Is there any questions? Anything you don't understand? Any comments? Anything I need to go over? He says says as we are, and you know, when you asked the question, you said, who is we? You know, it's Father and Son. How come at that moment the Holy Spirit is not understood in that? I mean, we understand that, but why is it not... You know, as far as the spirit, why is it not brought into the as we are? I mean, at this point, is it just understood because he is praying to the Father? Understood that the Holy Spirit. Was well, the, the Holy Spirit has been the Holy Spirit ever since Genesis right. chapter one, and the Spirit is well known in Old Testament literature, so they would have known about the Spirit of God. But here, Jesus is praying specifically to the Father as a one. Uh, as well as. If you were a Jewish man and you were sitting in the room, you've got all this heritage, all this education. Even if you were an uneducated man, you grew up, you know, everything was religious. Your business, your whatever, you would go and sacrifice in the temple so that God would bless your this or whatever. The schools were were basically religious-based Jewish schools. And, and so... Even an uneducated man would have grown up knowing all about God, all about this God, this Father, all about, you know, all all of these things. And so Jesus was introducing the fact that, hey, I am the son of this Father that you're claiming to follow. And I am the son that provides the way for you to get to this 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 father and so when he's praying here he's 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 praying to the father but he's also teaching these disciples saying you know everything that's mine is yours and everything that's yours is mine and you've given them to me and they glorify me and themselves And, and he's doing this showing them that he is the way to the father and he's also praying for their benefit that they would be protected by this name that's above all names, the name of God that uh, that uh, Jesus is manifesting to them. Does that make sense? Makes sense. The Spirit is there, and even in Acts, you see uh, Peter 
tell Ananias and Sapphira that uh, when they lie to the Holy Spirit about not selling their stuff, he says, you've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Yeah. So so it's, it's even there, and it's in their minds. Peter was in the room when this was happening. So it is there. It's just not what Jesus is focusing upon right here. It says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, but, uh, those that thou hast given me, and I ha- I've kept them, and none of them is lost. And, but before that, he said, now I'm praying, I'm leaving, I'm praying that you would keep them. And verse 13 says, and now come I to thee, I'm leaving, I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Okay, these things. What are these things? Now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world. What are these things? Everything he said so far. The prayer that he's praying for. He's prayed for his glory. He's prayed for God to glorify himself. He's prayed for the disciples' protection. He's prayed that God would keep them in the name, that he would keep them. That means keep them under his authority, keep them in the faith, so to speak, keep them trusting and believing in him. He prayed that God would keep them. And all of these things he's saying in this, the midst of this world that hates us and hates Jesus, and he's going to say that here in a second. He's saying all that in the midst of these, of this, this world, so that even in the midst of the trials that they're going to go through. He's going to tell them about that in a minute. The tribulations they're going to go through. They're going to be killed. They're going to be murdered. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be stoned. They're going to be cast out of cities. They're going to go through all of these things for the name of Christ. But he's saying these things in the world so that they might have his joy. That they might have, he says, that they might have my joy fulfilled where? In themselves. See, that's the thing about that's the thing about happiness. Most of us live from happy moment to happy moment, and when we don't have a happy moment, we start to get down, like oh, life stinks and it's no good. But Jesus prays these things, and he's this verse seventeen is just one big long prayer, and you can stick your name into anywhere that there's a disciple, anywhere that there's a believer. If that's you, if you've trusted Christ, you can stick your name in there. Jesus prays for. You, He doesn't pray for the world, but he prays for you who've received his word. And he prays this prayer so that the joy, that his joy, the joy of the son being loved by the father would be in you. You wouldn't have to worry about joy coming from outside somewhere else. You wouldn't have to worry about joy coming from good circumstances happening to me. Things that go on in life, whatever. You know, it's great to have happy moments. I love having happy moments, but I, that my joy doesn't depend on those things. My joy comes from in myself. He says that I pray these things. I say these things in the world so that my joy would be fulfilled in themselves. Why does Jesus praying these things to the Father give Give us joy. That he's prayed for my protection. He's prayed for that I will be kept in relationship with him. He's prayed that God, that Jesus will be glorified through my life. He's prayed that God would be glorified. How do those things give me joy and fulfill his joy in me? You want to take a guess? If, if Jesus prays to the Father... Do you think the Father would ignore Jesus' prayer? No. Why? Because they're one. 
Because they're one. Just like he said a moment ago. That they be one as we are one. He's there to intercede for us. Right. And Jesus' will will always be the Father's will. Even when Jesus, as fully man, came to the point of the cross, He said, you know, if, if it's any way that th this could not happen, you know, then, then take it from me. But the very next sentence He followed, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus never sinned, not even once. And so every prayer that He prayed, everything that He said was in perfect harmony with the will of God. So we know that Jesus prayed these things for us in front of the Father Himself, the one who rules and reigns, the, the, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So we know that these things are the will of God. We know that they're, pray they're answered prayers. They're not just prayers offered up and, you know, I hope it gets done and I hope He does it. These are prayers that have already been answered. These are prayers that are going to be fulfilled. And therefore, if we hold to that truth that we will, that if if you're a Christian, your life will glorify Jesus. If you're a believer, you will have joy in yourself. If you're a believer, you will be protected by the Father. Even though that may not mean that you may not die. You know, the disciples died gruesome deaths. But their life, their eternal life was protected. They were protected from all, anything that could harm them. The worst thing that could happen to you is you die and go to heaven. Which is nothing bad at all. And so they were protected by the Father. And knowing that Jesus has prayed these things and these things are true and accurate and nothing can stop them, that gives me a joy. No matter what you go through. You could go through the most horrible tragedy in life. Suffering and sickness or whatever. Whatever goes on in life. But you still have the joy of knowing that you are, you are in perfect relationship with this God who created all things. Make sense? That joy is fulfilled in you. Probably not going to get done, but it says verse 14, I have given them my word and the world have hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus has transformed us. But he says, verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Okay, so he's not saying I'm he's leaving. He's leaving to go be with the Father. And he's going to leave his spirit. He's going to send his spirit to indwell us. And it, he's not saying by protection when he says, I pray, pray that you would protect them, that you would keep them in the name, that you would guard them. He's not saying, I pray that you would take them out of the world. You have a job to do here. You have a mission to accomplish here. But he's saying that, that you would keep them from the evil. You would keep them, protect them. That word keep could also be guard. That you would protect and guard them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He said that already. Sanctify them through thy truth. How is he going to sanctify them? What is the truth? Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Last, last verse and then we'll... Uh, no, no, that's it. We'll, we'll, we'll do the end next week. Now listen, this is what I want to show you. Everything that Jesus is, is a reflection of who we are. better way to say that would be everything that we are is a reflection of who Jesus is. Look what it says. I'm going to read. You don't have to follow, but just listen. 
It says, listen to the things that it says. It says, uh, it says, I've given them, verse 14, I have given them my word and the world hated them because they are not of the world. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. See it? It's a reflection. We're not of the world. Why? Because Jesus is not of the world. It says, I pray not that thou should take them, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He said that uh, a moment ago. Uh, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And then look down at verse 19. It says, and for their sakes I sanctify myself. That they also might be sanctified. It's a reflection. I am a reflection of what Jesus is. You are a reflection of what Jesus did. And then verse uh, 18 says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so what? I've sent them into the world. So I can go through this whole chapter, even starting from the beginning. Those are just the last few verses we read. You can go through this whole chapter and everything that he says, it seems like we as disciples are intended to be a reflection of what Jesus is and who he is and what he's done for us. He has given, the Father has given Jesus the words to say. Remember when he said that? earlier in the chapter that I've given them the words that you gave me. So we're supposed to give the words that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us the word that the Father gave to him. Jesus is hated in the world and he's going to be hated in the world. Therefore, we're hated in the world. Jesus is not of the world. Therefore, we're not of the world. Jesus has sanctified himself. So he calls us to be sanctified by the word. The word is truth. Jesus has been sent by the Father to do the Father's will. Therefore, Jesus is sending us uh, to do the Father's will. Do you understand? You see the reflection that's going on? Everything that Jesus is. Is we are to reflect in the same way that the the moon reflects the sun. You know, if there wasn't a sun, you could not see the moon. The moon gives no light, zero, no light at all. The moon simply reflects the sunlight down to us. So when you see the moon shining bright in the sky, it's not the moon's light that you're looking at. It's the sun's light reflecting onto the moon. And that's what we do. We reflect what Jesus has given. It's like we're a conduit. And all the power, all the spirit all the, the grace of God, all the goodness of God, the Word of God, it comes from the source and it flows through us to a lost and dying world and that's how they receive it. Does that make sense? Does it give you any comfort? We'll finish this last time. At the, at the, we'll finish the last few verses next week. Um, he starts out changing the subject in verse 20 next week. He's going to say, Neither do I pray for these alone, talking about those disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through them. Their word, that's us. We are the ones who believe through the Apostles' word. And so we're going to get into that prayer next week. But here you can see that Jesus, he prays for the glory of God to the Father. And he prays for your protection. He prays for your goodness. He prays for you to be changed, for you to reflect his glory. And the son's prayer will always be answered by the Father. It will, I can't imagine... 
I can't imagine the father saying, well, Jesus, the father and the son don't butt heads. Let's put it that way. They don't ever butt heads. They're in perfect unity, perfect. Uh, their, their will is always aligned perfectly with goodness and with grace and with mercy and with love and with glory to God. And so when the son prays to the father, you can know that it's the father's will and it's going to happen. And therefore that gives us the joy in ourselves of knowing that we have the perfect will of God for us laid out for us in the scripture. Does that make sense? Any questions or comments? Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you, God. I thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for John chapter 17, Lord, where you prayed for us, God, and you prayed uh, specifically interceding for us, God, telling us what, what God's, what your will is and what, what we are supposed to be, what, what you are doing in us. And thank you most of all, God, that you said that all these things uh, are for the reason that we would have joy in ourselves and that joy would never dissipate. That joy would never go away. And so I thank you, Lord, that we carry that with us all the way into eternity. For our eternal life has already started. Be with us now, God, as we go into worship. As we go into praise your name. Let these things ring in our ears as we realize what we owe you, God. As we come to thank you and to praise you and to, to just say, uh, glorify your name because of all the things that you've done for us and for who you are. Be with us especially as the word is preached, God. We pray we know that uh, a word is coming from the pulpit from you God we just pray that you would help us to get our minds ready get our hearts ready to receive that word God to be open to that word God and to give you the glory that you deserve we love you and we thank you in Jesus name amen